We're going to start in Joshua chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Joshua chapter 1. And we are talking right now, this series is, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. I don't know if this week has felt like that to you or not. I know that many of us, as we are believers, we will go through the ups and downs. There are times where we'll feel like, oh, you know, I could, I could fit in here. And then there are times where it's just so, so blatant that this is not my place. You know, th this world's a little bit crazy and this world does things that make no sense if Jesus is Lord. And so we are trying to sort out as we go through this, how can we live like we are in this world, but not of this world? Last week, we talked about forgiveness and reconciliation. And I've had um, a lot of people feedback about how they have stepped into that. I am grateful that this is more than just a pep talk, that this is an opportunity for us to step into our faith. Forgiveness and reconciliation. This week, we're going to talk about why, what often gets in the way of that and disables clear communication. It keeps us stuck. It keeps us bound. And so I'm going to start off with just this simple question. What is there to be afraid of? Now, I'm going to give you, if I had paper and pens, I'd give you a minute to make a list. What is there to be afraid of? I think that we naturally default to thinking about all the things that are scary, overwhelming, crushing in our lives. Some of us are scared of making a mistake that wrecks our lives. Maybe we have in the past. So we're wondering where my vulnerability, where my you know, inability to see everything is going to ruin me. Some of us are just scared of making a mistake, period. We never want to be wrong. Some of us are afraid of not having enough money and what that could mean for our lives, our future, and the lives of people that we care about if I don't have enough money. Some of us are afraid of trusting the wrong person. Some of us are afraid of being hurt in a relationship yet again. Some of us are afraid of what people think of us. Some of us are afraid of the dangers that we can imagine, and we have really good imaginations. Right? So we have all of these things, and that's just a sampling. All you have to do is turn on the news and find out what's happening in the world, and you've got a whole new realm of reasons to be afraid. Afraid of life, afraid of this world. The list goes on and on and on. So we're in church today, and we probably all know that we're not supposed to live in fear. We're not supposed to be afraid, right? And so as we, we hear that, maybe you as a person who, whose life just keeps bombarding you with reasons to be afraid, maybe that's a little discouraging to you. That I say, oh, we're in church. We know we're not supposed to live in fear. I would say to start, let me just say this. Does that mean we're not supposed to live with fear at all? I don't think so. I think fear is a pretty normal and natural response. Back in high school, maybe I was like 10th grade, something like that. We were on a camping trip. And we'd taken a bunch of middle schoolers with us on this camping trip. And we'd been on this trail a few times before. This day, we stopped at a campsite. We really never, it was the only time we ever stopped at this campsite on this particular trail. And we stopped there because it had a little stream that was maybe four or five feet wide. It wasn't a, a big stream. It wasn't like you'd go swimming or anything. But you could get water. You could cook. So we stopped at this stream. And we had a bunch of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders with us. I, there was probably eight or ten tents around this campsite. None of, this is the first night. None of these kids have ever been backpacking or camping before. And so in the morning, we wake up, I get out of my tent, and I hear a, an interesting sound off to the side. Turn to look at this kid's backpack, and there is a bear. 
about 15 feet from me, sniffing at this backpack. Am I afraid? Yes, I am afraid. I did that. Can you imagine? Like sometimes what we talk about in church is like, I'm supposed to walk up to the bear. Like, I'm, a, I'm not afraid. I'm a child of God. I'm over here. Excuse me. Can I get my clothes out? Like we make it ridiculous. Like you can just flip fear off. The, somebody had left food open in their backpack and this bear had smelled it. And he wasn't interested in the people. He was interested in a free snack, right? So we're like, I'm telling all the kids, I'm shouting very loudly, stay in your tent, stay in your tent. You know, and we've got these little, these little nylon tents that, that bears could just right through, right? But you're safe in your tent, zip it up. You know, that zipper's gonna stop them from getting into your tent. I'm saying, stay in your tent, stay in your tent. Eventually we found some firecrackers. We lit some firecrackers, the bear ran away. And I will never forget, before he ran away, he wanted to show us that he didn't have to run away if he didn't want to. So he got across the stream and he stood up and he had to be eight feet tall, like, and growl and roared at us. And we were like, this is where we die. <laughs> this is the end, right? I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's not going to be good, right? Well, he jumped down and, and ran off. He, he got out of our campsite. And I remember in that moment, I felt afraid. Every single person in every single tent felt afraid. And I don't think that was wrong. But I want you to notice that in order for us to get somewhere, in order for us to resolve the problem, someone had to move past fear. We didn't have to turn fear off. We sometimes think courage is the absence of fear. Courage is not turning fear off. Courage is moving past fear. I would say, to try to distinguish this, healthy and normal fear is a reaction to a present reality or uncertainty like a bear in your camp. It's a very present reality, right? And so there's a naturalness to being afraid to that. Even you're sitting at a doctor's office and you get a, a diagnosis or you have questions, it's a present uncertainty and you have to process it. Fear is a normal reaction to the fact that we are limited, that our strength is not enough to fix our lives and to make everything right. It is a normal reaction to that. So having fear is not wrong. But living by fear is never good. Living in fear is never healthy. Some of us justify living by fear because fear masquerades often as wisdom, right? If I, if I can think what's wrong or what could be wrong and I can try to always react to what could be coming, that must be wisdom because it's keeping me safe. We sum it up a lot of times with this phrase, better safe than Sorry, which means it's better for me to pretend that I know what's coming and it's probably bad and to react to that. That's wise. That, that's how we make fear into wisdom. But fear is not a reliable guide for your life. As a matter of fact, fear is a very bad driver for your life. Even though many do that all the time, steer their lives by fear. What I'm saying today is that fear, as a believer, we are in this world and not of this world. We need to find resolution for our fears if we are to have any joy or hope or peace. Are you supposed to have joy? Are you supposed to live with hope? Is peace supposed to settle into your soul? It will not if we live by fear. If we live like fear is the thing that we can trust, Christians are told not to be afraid, but that doesn't mean never feel fear. Instead, what it means is it's an invitation to live beyond fear. And I would like 
to challenge us to see God do this in our souls. For us as a people to, to move away from living like the world in patterns of fearful thinking, fearful decision-making, fear-filled lives, I would like for us to move past fear into what God invites us into. This is a huge topic. Again, not going to be able to give you everything today. But I want to look at two reasons that we do not need to live afraid. And then I want to look at a strategy. Why can we set aside worry as a way of dealing with the unknown? Why can we live moving beyond fear? We're going to start in Joshua. We're going to start with a man that God called to a big task. If you know anything about the Old Testament, one of the things that you know about Joshua is that he was called to a dangerous calling. His calling was going to be war, battles. It was literally a life and death job. Joshua was going to take over from Moses, a man that God used to free Israel from centuries of slavery and lead millions of Israelites through 40 years of nomadic living. There had been battles, but in the story, as we read the story, those battles were the exception, not the norm. So he's following this great leader who's accomplished all this good stuff. They've had a few battles, but it's basically been peaceful existence living out here in the wilderness for four decades. Now Moses is dead. And Joshua needs to lead. Now the whole nature of their journey is going to change because they're going to invade the promised land and they're going to go to war. It begins with crossing an impossible river, the Jordan River, overflowing its banks from the rainy season, followed by fighting an impossible battle against Jericho, a city with huge walls, impenetrable walls, shut up tight. The task was to lead these people to trust the Lord in the middle of many reasons to be afraid. See, sometimes we go like this. Oh yeah, well, Joshua, remember that he, he fought the battle of Jericho. That was awesome. And remember they took over the promised land and that was great and everything was fine. And everything was wonderful. We forget that what they faced was absolutely something that would wither our souls if we faced the same thing. If we didn't get our heads straight about what it means to be the people of God. Joshua is supposed to step into Moses' shoes and lead these people into this very dangerous calling. The question is, what do God's people do when what's ahead is dangerous? This was not imagined danger. You're going into battle. This was not like, well, I can imagine it might be dangerous. No, there are people trying to kill you with swords and, and bows and arrows and weapons. Like, they're trying to kill you. This is dangerous. What do God's people do when what's ahead is dangerous? And you feel like there's no hope of winning or even surviving. This, what we're going to read, is God's answer to those questions. Verse 6 of Joshua chapter 1, as he starts out, he says this to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. He says again, I, I didn't put this down, but again in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. But then down in verse 9, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Three times in just a few verses, be strong and courageous. Why? Because what you're facing is dangerous. So choose an approach. What he does, God says, here's how you can live above, beyond fear. First of all, he says to Joshua, because you will lead these peoples to the land that I swore to give them. 
What God says is, one of the reasons God's people can live beyond fear is because God has made us promises. And the simple question is, do you believe them? God has made us promises. Why be strong and courageous? Because God has made promises to us that we can rest in. I guess I wonder when I say that, do you know some of the promises of God? Do you know promises that would make a difference in your soul if you held on to them when life was scary? Because God has made many promises and God is true to his word. You can be more sure about God being true to his word than you can be about your fear, meaning you're doomed. You can be more sure that God will do what he said than you are of anything. When we live afraid of our calling, whether we call it that or not, when we live afraid of our lives, when we live afraid of potentials, we live like God doesn't come through on his promises. I was, I was thinking about this this morning as I was driving here, and I thought about this. It's the question really is, what story do you think you're living in? Do you think you're living in the story of, and their life was filled with dangers, and it was really scary, and it, at any turn, it could have doomed them? Is that the story of your life? Are you living in the story of great danger, or are you living in the story of a great savior? What story are you living in? And that, I think, is what he's saying here. People of God, this whole thing, setting you free from Egypt and, and sustaining you in the wilderness miraculously with manna, sustaining you to this point, is a story of a great Savior. Now I'm going to ask you to step into the land, and I want you to be strong and courageous. Because the story you're living in is the story of a God who delivers, a God who comes through on his promise. Now, some of you, I want to I just do a side note here. On the other hand, a key element of this confidence is that we are actually walking God's way. Sometimes the reason we're afraid is because we know inherently that we're walking our own way. We're hoping God will keep us safe as we walk into the stuff that we try to make happen. We reject following him. We create our own trouble, and then we can't lean on God's promises the same way. But when you are following God's plan for your life, which is what he's saying to Joshua here, you are doing exactly what I'm asking you to do, so be strong and courageous. Step into faith. Know that what I've promised you is going to be exactly what I do. And then in verse 9, the third time he says, have I not commanded, be strong and courageous. God repeats himself, tells us that he knows that fear will be a natural and persistent feeling. But this time he emphasizes a different reason for them to not be afraid. And what he says is this, not I promise you this land. He says, I promise that I will be with you wherever you go. Do you know that God will be with you wherever you go, believer? Even in the stuff that you project as scary in the future, that God will be there? Think about this. This is the period of time where God's people saw God's presence. It was a tabernacle and there was a pillar, a cloud over the tabernacle during the day and it was a pillar of fire at night. God's presence with them was visible and yet here God says to Joshua, so I will be with you wherever you go. That's an interesting thing. Do you think you would have to be reminded that God was with you if you could see that he was with you? Why is he telling his people to be remembering that he's with them? Why is he telling Joshua, remember I'm with you? Here's the thing. We think, well, if I could see God, if God was standing next to me, then I could naturally trust him. This says, no, you wouldn't. Because you probably can see the evidence of God's presence in your life all the time. 
The question is, where are you looking? Right? So what he's saying to Joshua is, you can lose sight of what you know and what you can see about God's presence when you let your eyes fixate on what's happening around us instead of fixating on his presence with us. So here we are today, we're worshiping the Lord, we're singing about, you know, the greatness of our God, great are you, Lord, this is your breath in our lungs, and we're lifting up our voices. It is probably easier in this format to see the goodness of God, to feel the presence of God. So we get together and do that, and you can feel how people can change what they're looking at. Maybe you came in today troubled about your life, about what's happening in the world. But then you get here and we start doing this stuff together and you can feel it lift. I've had people say to me, I walked in, I heard the music and I didn't know what was happening, but all of a sudden it felt like this thing just went off of me. Like this weight went off my shoulders. What is that? That is as I stop fixating on what could go wrong or what there is to be afraid of, when I lift my eyes up to the king and I start seeing how great he is, then fear starts to melt away. Burdens start to go away. It is virtually impossible to worry if we intentionally include in our thought process that the Lord will be with us in each scary and overwhelming moment. You want to you defeat worry in your life? Just include this. Worry, think about all the bad things that can happen and then say this. But you know what? The God who saved me, the God who walks with me, he will be with me in that moment and he will be in control. How about that? That's a hard thing to worry then, isn't it? But what if God, oh yeah, well, he's good. He's always good. I can trust him. Like if you include that in your thought process, then not, he's not someone who's a, an observer, someone who's distracted from our lives and needs. He is with us. Like Jesus was with us in our need for salvation. He stepped into it and he is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That's why it says, and Jesus says in Matthew 11, when he talks about find rest for your souls, it's when you yoke up with him. It's when you let you and Jesus pull the load together. And he says, my burden is light when we do this together. We can choose to focus on all the dangers and the reasons to be afraid, or we can focus on the presence and the power of our faithful God in our lives. That is a legitimate choice that every single one of us can make. It is a practice that every single one of us need to step into. God promises, and God will be with you. Second thing, I want to go to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to find these words out of the mouth of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount here. He says, why should we not be afraid? Why should we not worry? He gives direct answers to these questions. And if I could sum up what he says, it goes like this. You don't need to worry and you don't need to be afraid because you matter to your heavenly father. Maybe that's a hard truth for you to believe because in your life, you've learned that you shouldn't think you have value or worth. And so when I say you matter to God, it's like, I don't know if I can believe that. The enemy would love for you to live like you're worthless or at least worth little. But I want you to hear how Jesus talks about your worth to your heavenly father. He talks like it's a settled matter that you matter to God. So I'm going to read verse 25 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 34. It says this, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all this splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Maybe you can accept the idea that God is with us. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on how you answer the question Jesus is answering here. Jesus says we should know it's a good thing because we should know that we matter to God. It's not hard for me, even if I have a low self-esteem, even if I've faced abuse in my life, to think that I might matter to God more than the birds or more than the grass. It's not, Jesus is perfectly on point. With this, he says, Listen, if you struggle to know whether you matter to God, look how God takes care of the grass and ask yourself if you think he might just might care more about you. He spends all of these verses hitting this point over and over again. We should know that God cares about our lives. And in the end, he says, your father knows you need this stuff. Basically, what he's saying is, don't you know that your father knows what you need and that you matter to him? When we live by fear, what we live by default thinking is that God may have power and his presence might be in our life, but I'm not sure I matter enough for him to step in and do what is good. And that's just not true. It's offensive to even say. But that is how we live when we ignore what Jesus says here. Jesus makes a few other points. One, one point he makes is, so therefore we should not live chasing lesser things like food or clothing, earthly stuff. Now, I don't think anybody here, this is directly applicable to you because you are constantly worried day in and day out about food, day in and day out about food and clothing. That's just not the world we live in. It's the world they lived in, right? I think if you went to these people and said, listen, you can live in a world where, where food and clothing are just presumed taken care of. You could go to your closet and you could pick out whatever shirt you want to wear today, whatever, whatever outfit you want to wear, and you can go to your pantry and you can decide if you like that food or that food or that food. You go to your fridge. You can have food and clothing always kind of presumed available to you. I think they would think that's utopia. But don't worry. We found plenty of other reasons to worry. Even though we have all of our basic needs met, the principle is still true. Let's not put our hope in lesser things. And when I say put our hope in it, what I mean is let's not be afraid of losing out on lesser things as though they determine whether our life is good or bad. Do not worry. Second thing he says is, and what good does it do? Do you get stuff you need because you worry? Jesus says, do you extend your life a single hour by worrying about your health? It might do the opposite, right? The obvious point Jesus is making is that worrying and living by fear does no good. 
Now, I'm not saying that having fear and responding to fear is bad, but fear that doesn't have any connection with something you can effectively do to resolve the fear is essentially useless. In other words, you might have a fear in your life and it brings you to act in a certain way that is good. You go take care of it and it's resolved. The problem is when we live in fear and we just are always living in fear and we can never believe that we're safe and we can never believe that we're secure and we can never rest in the promises of God. Jesus says, what good does it do to worry? It, and the, it, the rhetorical answer is no good at all. One other point is how Jesus ends it. Because Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself, which is a little bit weird way of saying um, what Jesus is trying to say. After talking about how God meets our needs, Jesus says, tomorrow will worry about itself, basically saying, God gives you enough strength for what you face today. He gives you enough strength today for what you face today. He doesn't give you enough strength today to face what you'll face tomorrow. The presence of God in your life, in part, is reflected in the manna conversation back in the Old Testament, which is God will give you enough for today. So don't take today's strength and try to get ahead of tomorrow's problems. Because not only do you not get ahead of tomorrow's problems, because most of the time, I think it's like 85% of the time, you guess wrong at tomorrow's problems. What people worry about never comes like 85% of the time. Right? So I've spent my energy that God gave me today to deal with today on tomorrow's problems, but I spent it on the wrong problems. So I blew it all away. Right? I didn't have strength for today. I felt overwhelmed. I felt crushed. I felt discouraged. I felt weary. I felt weak today because I was spending all the strength I have for today on tomorrow's problems, but I spent it on the wrong problems for tomorrow. And now those problems showed up and now I'm trying to get ahead of those problems again. Jesus says, I will give you the strength you need for the things you're facing today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Walk by faith today and trust that whatever comes tomorrow, he will still care about you and will still give you what you need to face whatever comes. Have you ever found that? That in the worst moments of your life, when you got the worst news you could possibly imagine, that God's presence showed up in a way that you just... You just couldn't even have fathomed. There was no way to describe it. But there was the Lord. If that's the truth, if Jesus is right here, then what I can do is I can trust that God gives me enough for today and tomorrow God will give me enough for tomorrow. So I don't have to get ahead of anything because I matter to him and because he will take care of me. So how do we do this? I want to close today going to Philippians chapter four. I'm going to give you a little bit of a strategy. Let's say we all agree that we can't let ourselves be slaves to fear. So what do we do to break free and live free? How can we leave fear and worry behind? Paul has some advice for us. It's something that we can actually do. It's not the only thing you can do, but it's a place to start. If you're like, I'm just sinking under fear all the time. I don't know what to do. Then let me read these words from Paul. And see if this maybe gives you an action item, a way to approach fear that will begin to show you how to fight this battle. He says this in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul says. Anxiety is a reminder to pray. Can you pray? 
Now, I, I want for people who are like, I don't know, I don't know very many good prayers. There, you don't have, there's nobody grading any prayers, okay? There's no grading sheet of like, did you, did you do that well? Did you do that? No, prayer is just a conversation that you have with God. God knows who you are. He made you who you are. He knows how you communicate. So a prayer is just saying, Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, this is hard. I don't know what's going on. Remind me about how good you are. Bring to my mind the things that, that I've seen already about your faithfulness. Help me to hold on to trusting you. Like this is prayer. Okay, so what he says is when anxiety shows up, when fear shows up and it starts to dominate me or, or it's crushing my soul, it's a reminder to pray. Prayer is not begging God to do what I think he should do. Okay, God, get me out of this. God, make sure that doesn't happen. Prayer is not begging God to do what I think he should do. And uncertainty is not a reason to live afraid. So when anxiety shows up, Paul says, pray. In every situation, pray. What we do as believers is we turn to God in our hearts and with our minds by praying. Similar to how this morning as we worshiped, we turned our hearts and our minds to the Lord as we worshiped him. When you're by yourself and the enemy is attacking you with fear, by the way, if you go to the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six, the shield that protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy is faith, which tells us that the darts are probably fears. It's the way he attacks us, Right? So how do I lift up my shield of faith? Pray. You turn your heart, you turn your mind to the Lord and you start by talking to him. You start to get your attention off of those things and putting your attention on him. And I will tell you, once you see Jesus, you're gonna start to realize that he's got it. That he's as good as you remember. That he's as faithful as his promise. We recognize that he's listening by talking to him. We acknowledge that we want him to be in charge by bringing our requests. We hold on to his goodness by being thankful and we release our fear by putting our trust in him. It is not a magic spell. It is not a switch that you flip, but it is a practice that you do to discipline your soul to not be crushed by fear. Prayer. Then Paul says, as we do that, peace starts to flood into our soul. And it's interesting that he says it's not by understanding, it's beyond understanding. In other words, God is not going to give you the answers of why is this happening or what's going to happen. He's not going to give you peace through your understanding. He's going to give you peace beyond your understanding. Peace that comes from knowing the presence of God, the power of God in your life. And, and as that peace begins to flood into you, it guards your if you saw it at the end, your heart and your mind. It guards your feelings and your thoughts so that fearful situations and circumstances that show up become an invitation for you to walk in a way that makes faith more powerful, more effective, more dominating in your life. We don't feed our fear. We feed our faith. We, by turning in prayer to God, the God who is with us, the God who cares about us, the God who promises to give us strength for whatever we're facing. So here it is. We live in a world that gives you all kinds of reasons to be afraid, right? If I start off saying, what could you be afraid of? You can make a list. And the world will help you. If you forgot some things, they'll help you. They use fear all the time as a way of getting us to tune in and pay attention. 
The world asks you to constantly ask, what if? It asks you to constantly react with, oh no. But faith says, even if. And I know. Every day, we will be given more reasons to be afraid. It's kind of relentless, but I'm saying we're in this world, not of this world. Believers do not live afraid. We don't. Why not? Because we know that our God is faithful. Because we know that our God is with us. Because we know that we matter to him. Simple truths. And so we respond to fear with faith. We don't try to turn fear off, but we don't let it run our lives. We don't let it dominate our minds. And how do we do that? When it gets too much, we pray. When we start recognizing that we're going under, it starts to remind us that, that we don't have the strength that he does. And so we pray and we turn our hearts and we turn our minds to the one who is the Prince of Peace. The one who is the savior of our soul. The one who Zephaniah says is mighty to save. The one who cares about us enough to go to a cross and die for us. We remind ourselves of who our God is. We set our eyes on him. And we let him melt the fear away. Believers, I pray that this is something that you and I will allow God to teach us and show us. It is the difference between a life that represents a belief in a God who is great and a life that represents a belief that I have a nice hobby talking about Jesus, but it doesn't really change anything. I live just like you, just like a lost person. Believers, we have to live like God is faithful, like God is good, like God is with us, and like we matter to him. And then fear has no place in our souls.